Hi everyone, I'm Miranda from MC's podcast team. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're excited to have you. For this episode, we're going to be discussing one of the many events that was hosted during October's Humanities Days. Humanities Days is the annual interdisciplinary celebration between the collaboration of both of Montgomery College's Humanities Institutes. The event was hosted by Rockville's interim dean at the English and Reading Department, Dr. Elizabeth Benton. The name of the event, What Happened to You? What Can We Learn from Post-Traumatic Wisdom? was based on a co-collaborative publication written by child psychiatrist and researcher Dr. Bruce Perry and famous talk show host Oprah Winfrey. The event discusses how child developmental trauma significantly impacts the people we become in our adult life. In this episode, I will be giving a glimpse into how trauma works, how we may have been affected by the pandemic, a few words with Dr. Benton herself, and the post-traumatic wisdom that we learn. To understand how trauma works, we first have to understand how the brain works. So the brain can be pictured as an inverted triangle divided into four parts. At the very bottom is the brainstem. According to the text, although trauma is technically stored in all parts of the brain, the earliest childhood trauma is stored all the way down in the brainstem. This is because children's brains are not yet mature enough to create what is called linear narrative memory. This is just a who, what, when, where, and why memory. However, during our earliest life, every moment-to-moment is documented and stored in our codebook based on the thousands of associations that are made about how the world functions in the first few years of our rapidly developing brain. These personal experiences then help us decode the world in a way that is uniquely shaped by each of our own personal experiences. When a child experiences abuse, the brain is able to collect certain features and circumstances of the abuser and the abusive experience. So things like smells in the room, certain type of lighting, a certain tone of voice, hair color, the temperature in the background, or even music or noises in the background is stored in the brain. And although the brain of a child is not complex enough to create linear narrative memory, these memories and associations are still stored in these lower neural networks all the way down in the brainstem. Later in our adult life, when we encounter certain trauma-related experiences based on past memories, each of our biological systems has an already encoded response based on our personalized codebook of our experiences. And with no linear narrative memory, these experiences and this panic and this sense of fear that can arise from these trauma-related experiences can be and is often interpreted as random. A very good example of trauma-related experiences that was mentioned both in the event and of course in the book is of a 14-year-old boy named Samuel. Samuel was a child born into an incredibly abusive and neglectful home. His father was extremely violent and abusive towards him and his siblings. When Samuel was seven years old, him and his siblings were removed from the home and the next three years of his life were dedicated to his overcoming of these traumatic experiences. Samuel moved to a new school. He was making wonderful progress. His social skills improved and he was better able to maintain his frustration and self-control. 
His grades improved so much that it caused him to move up in classrooms. Now, when Samuel arrived in his new classroom with his new male teacher, trouble soon came. In the first few weeks of classes, Samuel had three outbursts, two of which were violent and directed towards this male teacher. Samuel had to be physically restrained. After a while, both student and teacher became disengaged and the other completely. Samuel and his teacher no longer held any eye contact. There was zero smiling and now there was zero verbal engagement. Once Dr. Perry stepped in, who authored the book, he was able to figure out that the reason why there was such tension between Samuel and his male teacher was because Samuel's father and his new male teacher both actually wore the same brand of deodorant, Old Spice, thus triggering trauma-related associations from his past experiences with his father now to his new male teacher. Once Dr. Perry stepped in, he was able to address his thoughts about what was making Samuel so uncomfortable and angry towards his teacher. Samuel understood, and both student and teacher agreed to give the other a year. With this being said, Samuel was able to finish off the year as a model student and with a wonderfully fortified relationship with his teacher. Now that we understand a little bit of how trauma works and how it's stored in the brain and how it's acted upon in real life, we can have the conversation about how this pandemic has significantly impacted who we are today. I had the chance to speak with Dr. Benton after the event. And one of the many things that we discussed was how trauma affects us in our day-to-day life. And I got to talk to her about how when the pandemic started, I was overcome with immense loneliness Um, and not just loneliness, but I started questioning the nature of my reality. I started wondering about the state of the world. I started panicking. Um, And if we all remember how last year felt um i mean it was event after event after event after crisis after crisis after crisis after protest and protest and protest and deaths and um and rising cases and so many so many things um in the beginning of the pandemic i was so lost and I was just stuck in my room because you know we were in quarantine we were not allowed to go out and it felt like for the first time in my life I was forced to just sit there with myself and face everything that I had not faced before and a big part of that was my relationship with my parents because had the pandemic not happened, me and my parents would not have the strong and healthy relationship we do have now. And I look back to that time period and I remember that I would get up every morning early because it was the only way for me to cope. And I would go for a run. Um, and I would go for a run and I would spend maybe like two hours out in the morning. And then 
later in the evening, me and my mom would go for a walk at the same place. So I would be going out twice a day to go be out in the forest in nature. And that was my way of coping. That was my way of, of, of setting aside all of that panic and all of that news and all of that, all of that anxiety. In my discussion with Dr. Benton, she also shared her similar experience of the pandemic. During, during the pandemic, the, a relevant example to me personally is that I have a daughter who's 15. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, she was that age, 13, 14. Um, and she started exhibiting some, some signs of stress, which I just identified. I knew she, um, she was kind of having some hot flashes and she was, you know, just exhibiting signs. I'll, I'll be private about, about um, her, but I can be, speak broadly. And one of the first things I started doing was taking her on walks in the afternoon, outside, walking the neighborhood, you know, she was irritated. Mom, you're so annoying. (laughs) Um, We went on hikes um, on a trail. We went on a little mountain hike. I call it a mountain. It was probably a hill. Um, But, and and the book then, later I read this book and it reinforced that that movement and rhythm and um, patterns and things to expect can be so terribly, I'll say, re-regulating when our body gets out of sync. So I do think, um, you know, for um, those of us who are college leaders and or teachers, uh, we just need to know how to see, recognize some signs where we can at least provide the resources um, and then also kind of start to identify some of the things in our own bodies that are signals that maybe we need to be asking for help. This leads to one of the most important concepts of the book that is essential to maintaining our overall well-being. Rhythmic regulation are the certain mechanisms and techniques that exist to significantly impact our real-time associations that trigger trauma-related memories. Through patterns of repeated activity, these overactive neural networks that are actively associating an event with trauma-related experiences are able to fall back into balance, creating what is known as rhythmic regulation. The text um, mentions a couple of easier, um, wise things that we can do to help ourselves and to help others. And they're big advocates of just therapeutic moments, Um, holding someone's hand or um, calling somebody to say, let's meet up, you know, for an ice cream or let's walk to class together. Uh, those are kinds of examples of little therapeutic moments when we can be a part of someone's journey in ways that are very much amateur, that are not, uh, we can't become um, um, the therapist that our peers need, but we can be um, just, you know, a fellow, a fellow friend or a fellow traveler. Uh, mm-hmm. And then um, I think Um, Some of the other things that were recommended in the books were like walking, kicking a ball, um, doing puzzles together. So those are the kinds of things that maybe we could turn into a space. Um, And then the other uh, metaphor that I thought was so good in the text was the web, 
the, the therapeutic web where if you know you are struggling, then you seek out those supports that will result in adaptive behaviors, um, not maladaptive behaviors. So that, you know, that creating really positive situations and friendships for ourselves that will help us put one foot in front of the other. Now we wonder what exactly is post-traumatic wisdom and how exactly do we heal? Dr. Perry describes healing as something very similar to revisiting a shipwreck. When we think of this, we have to understand that trauma is stored in all parts of the brain. When we are revisiting the shipwreck, it is important to have a safe haven somewhere else. We could think of this as our new healing territory. What we're trying to do is, when we're trying to heal from trauma, we want to take everything from that shipwreck and we want to begin to move it over to our safe heaven. So this happens not all at once, not in a certain amount of time, because healing is not linear. And you do this by sifting through these traumatic experiences at our own time, at our own pace, no specific timeline in mind, no specific goal in mind, just trying to be in our safest place and recognizing that we would like to be in these safe spaces. We want to recognize that these traumatic experiences don't always have to be traumatic. And that is exactly what we're doing when we're moving this wreckage in this shipwreck over to our new safe havens. And this is exactly what healing is. This is exactly the post-traumatic wisdom that we receive. Once we understand this and we understand how we've been impacted in our own ways through our traumatic experiences, we are then able to pass on what we've learned. When we create these safe havens within ourselves, we are reconstructing our brain. And with professional support, educational and therapeutic experiences are able to help us reorganize the systems in our brain that have been impacted by neglect, adversity, and trauma. The brain can do a whole lot more than we give it credit for. Through these struggles of adversity and trauma, pain and loss, disappointment and dissatisfaction, we are left with the immense lessons we learned and the building blocks we created that will lead us towards the safe havens within ourselves, within our communities, and within the world. Whether we decide to pass on this post-traumatic wisdom is up to us. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. Until next time, thank you.